All right, we're in the green room and we're wondering if ChatGPT5 will take over the world before ChatGPT4 is out. Just kidding. <laughs> No, we're, we're back here. We've got some great folks uh, today. We're going to go in reverse order and uh, talk about what's happening. So, Andy, where are you calling in from, dialing in? What are we talking about today? From uh, Boston, Massachusetts, the intellectual capital of the world. <laughs> we want to talk about everything, things of AI. All right, cool. We've got a recent blog post that's uh, very, very interesting about pauses on AI. Um, Nitin, Tom, let's go with uh, Nitin. Uh, tell us where you're calling in from, what we're talking about, and we'll go to Tom. So. Well, I'm from uh, Newton, Massachusetts as well. I won't repeat the same comment as uh, Andy, but, <laughs> but uh, certainly uh, you know, happy to talk about uh, everything that's happening in the world of AI in businesses and enterprises in particular. Very cool. Tom, what about you coming in from where? And of course, uh, talking about your new book that you wrote with Nitin. So. Yeah, coming in from Santa Barbara this time of year, Boston, when it's a little brighter and warmer and um, Happy to talk about our book, All In on AI, which is about companies that are really aggressive in their use of AI and getting great value out of it. Very, very cool. Not from Boston. Where are you coming in from, Bashad? Yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm uh, calling from Zurich, Switzerland, um, and we'll be talking about conversational AI, generative AI. Uh, that's what I'm doing at Google. Very, very cool. All right. Well, hey, back to you, El, as we kick off the show. All right. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Ray's a regular television business and tech news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC, just about every day I see him on TV. In my opinion, he's one of the best futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. But more importantly, he may be up to something new, but we'll talk about that another time. But it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests. And who do we have to kick it off today on such a boring and uninteresting topic? 
Yeah, yeah. It's our pleasure to have Bashad Bazadi, Vice President of Engineering for Conversational AI at Google Cloud. Bashad is a distinguished computer scientist with expertise in algorithms, web search ranking, natural language understanding, speech recognition, and machine learning. Bashad leads Google Cloud's conversational AI, focusing on applying Google's latest advancements in AI to reimagine and automate functions like customer service and operations for large enterprises. Bashar joined Google in 2006 and has played a key role in Google's AI strategies, co-founder of Google Assistant, Google Lens, Google SMA Display, and more recently, the Next Gen Assistant, a breakthrough in mobile assistant technology with on-device machine learning for lightning-fast experience. Welcome, Bashar, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much. So excited to be with you. Thank you, sir. Hey, we're so happy to have you here. I see you every year at Davos. I see you at other places. You've been speaking on this. You know, you've been working on conversational AI for quite some time, right? And we think about the beginnings of conversational AI from Eliza all the way in the 50s to now. I mean, this technology has really changed. What have you seen happen in the last decade that really gets you excited that says, wow, we are here? Yeah, I think that's uh, right. That's a great point. You know, the main thing that you're seeing is change. You know, everything has changed in the past 10 years. So, you know, conversational AI is really about making, you know, a conversation between human and machine to become like, you know, human and human. And for that, you want speech recognition, voice recognition to work. You want uh, speech generation to be natural and you want um, and you want that natural language understanding to work good. And all of those have made big breakthroughs in the past 10 years. So first of all, let's talk about speech. On the speech side, yeah. five years ago, you could, you know, in a noisy environment, you know, speech might have been not working, or you needed to repeat yourself. Accents, you know, children, uh, you know, elderly had problems to talk uh, with with uh, machines. And now, the, the newest speech recognition from our research about a month ago reached reaching ninety eight percent accuracy. Wow. This is, you know, for English, this is like, you know, really, you know, getting really, really in a very usable state. Speech generation, the generated voice are now really getting indistinguishable from human voice. And you can generate someone's voice just by, you know, uh, using you know, a few seconds or a few minutes of that person's voice. You can generate a voice which is really sounds very, very similar to that. And the third pillar is really about natural language understanding. If before we were really working on, you know, grammars and linguists, uh, you know, to try to come up with rules and what should happen in a particular state of a conversation and spend really months and years. Now we're really talking about the next level of understanding system. You know, today the systems can explain what a joke is. This is, you know, why a joke is funny. And, and for, in order to be able to explain why a joke is funny, this is not about understanding the words. It's really understanding much more of, you know, nuances which exist between the words and, and you know, the concepts and everything which is, you know, in the language. This, the, the, uh, the, now we can have uh, models which can, explain, um, which can explain problems. You know, they solve the problem, but they also say how step by step they are solving it. They can even solve, you know, uh, world-class programming competition problems. So from understanding, we're reaching to the intelligence. So speech, uh, uh, spoken speech, spoken as uh, audio, and this level of understanding together is reaching a level which is basically things which were not possible before, today are possible. It's amazing too. When I hear you say all of this, I'm wondering when Ray's gonna replace me with a bot that sounds like me on this show. So I'm nervous, but... <laughs> but, but OG, man, OG, we're only going with the OG. <laughs> I, I we, we most of us have seen your 2017 TED talk, where you not warned the audience, but this is six years ago, and you you said, look, we're we're entering an AI first 
uh, a revolution. You talked about the cloud revolution and the, the, the web giving birth to the internet companies and the mobile revolution with the smartphone. And you're on stage six years ago on a TED talk and you're actually showing us how smartphones are now smart. And this was again, six years ago. And, and you talked about, you know, conversation being the universal UI. And now you fast forward six years and you see what's happening with generative AI. And everything you were saying not only happened, but it's happening even faster than you could imagine. Can you can you talk to us about this landscape and how you were like this amazing futurist six years ago, predicting all the stuff that's happening now? And now that you're here, what, what are you thinking is going to happen another six years from now? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, for sure, for sure. I think generative AI is bringing everything to the next level. Just to talk about it, in, in, uh, uh, generative AI is you know was all based on these large language models, right? And large language models are uh, models which are built based on uh, lots of lots of data, and they can solve lots of problems which they have not seen before. Traditionally, we make a machine learning model for solving one problem. These, these days, these models can solve lots of problems. The art is how to make them solve a particular problem. They can do two things particularly very well, superhuman-like conversation, you know, really uh, as a, like the hum very similar to the human because they have seen lots of text and lots of books and everything. Uh, but also they can, uh, they, can, um, they can solve problems in some sense. They can reason in some sense and can get into you know, problem solving in, 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 in some manner. They can also generate. They can. This is a new thing, you know, which is uh, these generative aspects of these large language models is bringing to us that they can, you know, generate text. Whether it's an email, whether it's a document, whether it's a poem, whether it's a code, and this combination of these things together is unlocking, you know, use cases which was which seemed science fiction before, but now it's possible. You can put this system as an interface to, to a complex data and try to analyze it and get insights about it. You can really up-level customer experience to become, you know, really, you know, very human-like, human save lots of costs and so on. You can use it for creation and, you know, for, for really, you know, you know, whether it's the marketing materials or sometimes, you know, months which is passed into generating these marketing materials now you can just describe types of things that you want and try to get you know uh lots of materials auto-generated or at least you know get save lots of time but by, by having you know a big step forward there so so indeed you know the speed of uh, speed of how things are changing in the past you know one year at least you know has been you know uh, really you know uh, bringing things to the next level here now and uh, and and I think you know uh, we will be seeing lots of disruptions across uh, across many industries, including you know customer experience and customer service, of course, uh, thanks to these uh, advances. I had my 12-year-old son come to me a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "Dad, I'm using this tool called ChatGPT with my math homework, and it was it, was, it helped me understand re the problem solving." So now I'm using it for my social studies. And I'm like, what do you think about it? And he's like, I don't know. It feels like it's a calculator for thinking and writing. And I'm like, wow, a 12-year-old, so to me, like adoption defines the next big thing. And a 12-year-old unsolicited without any advice from his dad, <laughs> which I kind of feel bad. I'm like, I I'm a technologist. I should have guided him a little bit. <laughs> he came to me. Uh, but I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, it's 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 amazing how these digital natives are quickly looking at technologies to enhance the contextual intelligence about how they do things. And now he's using it for homework. Again, I'm hopeful that it's less of a calculator for thinking. I'm, I want him to continue to think on his own. 
but I was kind of proud. <laughs> you know, it was, oh, it was kind of a proud dad moment. Sorry, Ray. Yeah. I just... oh, no, we're definitely seeing that. that and LLMs are, are playing a role, right? Not just for kids' homework or for writing press releases or for, you know, even doing like, you know, you know, like uh, quick searches uh, for the people are putting together, right? I mean, you're seeing these LLMs play a role in contact centers and in, you know, CX and CRM. And, and you guys have been looking at this as well. I mean, in terms of LLMs for using LLMs and AI for CX and contact centers. And I can only imagine the fun you guys are having with the knowledge bases, right? The ability to actually create automated ontologies, have them ready to go and connect. Um, you guys have been doing a lot of work there. And I know some announcements recently. Talk about where you see that vision. And I've seen you were quoted talking about this in terms of AI contact centers and CX. Yeah, so so I think actually contact centers and customer service is really you know one of the places which is uh, will be the most disrupted and perhaps the perfect uh, place to be disrupted by conversational AI for different reasons. You know there is lots of repetitive types of tasks and there are they can be you know there is average handling time is often you know longer than what it should be. Customer, you know, satisfaction is not good. You know, agents, uh, you know, satisfaction is not good. So, uh, already for the past couple of years, we have been, you know, seeing that conversational AI is trying to disrupt uh, contact centers and call centers, trying to, you know, automate parts of, you know, uh, the calls and trying to, you know, uh, have um, have uh, uh, have agents to uh, solve the problems faster. Now, Gen AI is just going to accelerate the whole thing, you know, to the next level again. Because uh, with recent announcement that we had, for example, we're now able to build those voice bots or chatbots which were which are automating uh, uh, these use cases in a matter of minutes and hours as opposed to months and years. And that really makes things, you know, that the people were not trying before to be tried more. They can iterate much faster and much more. You know, you, you, it's as easy today as, you know, as connecting your enterprise document and personal document and private documents of the enterprise uh, or the website url to these systems and then ask the question start asking the question and the system if the answer is inside those documents will try to extract an answer it's very important to know that when you want to use llm for enterprise there is many more things to be uh, considered here it should be safe it should be you know respecting privacy it should be grounded it should be you know cost friendly it should be you know respecting your business logic and so on so we also try to make defining a business logic to become very easy. So when you hire a human in a call center, you don't ex teach to that human how to speak English. You just will explain this is how you should answer and solve these problems, right? So uh, he, this is exactly what we want you to do with, you know, with these AI bots. You just, at a, for example, with a natural language, just say that first welcome and then do this and then do that. And this is a catalog with some explanations. Yeah. So human language explanation plus uh, plus some very high level business logic that you explain plus some documentation you give all of this to the ai system the ai system will respect all of the business logic that you set because this is very important you don't want to go out will connect to the backends that you have so that it actually can also execute things and not only answer things but uh, but it's uh, but it can also handle all nuances of languages. So if someone in the middle said, "Wait a minute, I'm going back and uh, for a, wait a minute, I need you know I need a minute," it will not say, "Sorry, I don't understand." It will say, "Take your time." And when the person is back, you know, just uh, just continues the conversation the way it was because it can can understand the context and it can uh, continue the, the the context. So so these um, uh, chatbots and voice bots are getting significantly easier to be built. So there will be much more adoption of that, and they are not only for interacting with uh, with customers but they're also side by side with the agent so the agent itself himself or herself can ask you know 
question on demand to this chatbot, which says, how do I, how should I answer this question to my, to this person who is calling me or, you know, or proactive helps maybe, or the summarization at the end of the call so that, you know, again, save time uh, and, and you know, redu reduce cost, but also, you know, increase the satisfaction of the users. And, the a, shot. Go ahead, and we, we also need to stripe our data so that we don't ingest the wrong data into the LLMs. You don't want to have that situation where Samsung, you saw the live demo with their chat, their, the model that they're doing where they kind of revealed like all their internal secrets by accident. <laughs> so. no, exactly. So, so it's very important. And I think lots of our investment for the past several quarters in, in Google Cloud has been really about Look, LLMs are really good in, you know, problem solving, language understanding generation, but they are not enterprise ready. So you need to do much more, including, you know, safety, security, privacy, you know, all, all those, you know, elements which I mentioned just before that they, they need to be there so that you can, uh, you can solve these things uh, uh, you know, properly. On, on contact centers, we also use that for, for the overall, you know, um, um, insights generation. There's a continuous, uh, these models can continuously uh, you know, analyze what's going on through, through the calls, try to identify where else could be automated, what's the sentiments there, what's, you know, what mm -hmm. else I can do so that the people who are calling my call centers become happier. Uh, so, so I think these are all, you know, pretty, you know, um, uh, interesting and amazing uh, uh, um, developments. That, that tone and sentiment analysis in real time that can ultimately also make a decision to, uh, you know, escalate to a human when, when necessary. Absolutely, I think, absolutely. I think, absolutely. I think it's key. All the guardrails you mentioned. So my last question, Bashad, like wow, advice, advice to enterprise chief customer officers who are who have the pressure of improving productivity and efficiency. Clearly, 2023 is going to be the year of productivity. I mean, given the cost uh, refinements that businesses are going through. So every business leader today has pressure to do as much as possible with as little as possible. So you can't ignore this hyper automation promise of uh, conversational AI and generative AI. So advice to a chief customer officer in the enterprise, how, she, how they should start and how they should select partners who can help them scale and grow their business effectively. Yeah, no, no great question. I think, first of all, I guess it's very important to to start, you know, to yeah, right, this right. revolution and change is happening, you know, uh, so so indeed you want to start with something. And I would always say that it starts small, you know, try some experiment that, you know, uh, whether it's a simple chatbot or some creation use cases, try to just get, you know, really start to understand, you know, the, the, how, you know, how, how and where you can get, you know, uh, benefits and try to make your employees to also play with these things so that they can uh, so that they can actually, you know, generate more ideas of where in that particular organization you can generate more value. But one thing which is very important is uh, is to make sure that you're educated also about the risks which uh, these uh, these things might have, right? So you don't want you know your private you know documents to end up being used or, or private data to be end up being used for improving a foundational you know model. So you so there's a, and you know there is a, always of course the risks of uh, this is a nascent tech technology. You know there can be risks of misinformation. There can be risks of, you know, toxicity. There can be, you know, uh, uh, all different types of damages in theory that, you know, moving fast uh, and putting some, you know, chatbot, let's say, as a uh, first, uh, uh, as a forefront brand, uh, forefront to your brand, which might end up, you know, making some statements, which is, you know, which uh, might, you know, damage your brand and so on. So, right. so make sure that, you know, uh, as a leaders, you understand the, what the risks are, educate your employees uh, what the risks are. This is very important. But certainly start experimenting now. 
I would try to experiment smaller, you know, choose the smaller things as opposed to replacing everything. Also, I would say that always try to optimize for what matters most for that company or use case. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's very important to optimize for user experience, for example. Many people come to me and say that, hey, I want to replace this particular situation with a chatbot. And I say, okay, that's good, but maybe chatbot is actually, while chatbot can solve that today, but perhaps, you know, in this case, you want to have lots of pictures and swipe them on a mobile phone and so on. So decide, decide what's the best experience for that particular use Great case, advice. and then try to, you know, build what brings most value for, uh, for, uh, for the company uh, uh, employees in that case, or, or the users of and customers of that company. Terrific advice and start. I mean, don't All ignore right, this. Sure. This is, this is, this is important. Thank you. That was great. Terrific. Yeah, no, this is great. And thank you so much. Um, you know, hope we get to connect with you in the future again with more conversations about conversational AI and more. Uh, so we're with Bashad Basadi, Vice President of Engineering, Conversational AI for Google Cloud. You can follow him on Twitter at Bashad underscore Basadi. So thanks a lot for being here. Happy Friday. And uh, till the next thing. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, he, uh, he's been working on building Google's AI capabilities for decades and uh, just an amazing, amazing uh, trailblazer. Speaking of amazing trailblazers, our next guest, and please give me an opportunity to introduce both before we start. We have Tom Davenport, Nitin Mittal, author of All In on AI, How Smart Companies Win Big with Artificial Intelligence. Tom Davenport is President Distinguished Professor of Information Technology and Management at Babson College. I spoke at Babson a few weeks ago and I loved it. A visiting professor at Oxford University said Business School, a fellow of the MIT Initiative on Digital Economy and Senior Advisor to Deloitte's AI Practice. Tom doesn't sleep. Tom pioneered the concept of competing on analytics, which is his best-selling book with the same name. And he has published over 20 books and over 300 articles. Tom has been named one of the world's top 25 consultants, top 100 most influential people in IT industry, and one of the world's top 50 business school professors by Fortune magazine. Coolest Twitter handle. You can follow him on Twitter at TDAV, D-A-V. He's an early adopter of Twitter, TDAV. <laughs> Nitin Mitchell is a principal at Deloitte Consulting. He currently serves as U.S. Artificial Intelligence Strategic Growth Offering Consultant Leader. He was the recipient of the AI Innovator of the Year Award at the AI Summit in New York. He has received, uh, uh, he has served as a trusted advisor on data analytics and AI and has worked across a number of industry sectors. You can follow him on Twitter at nmital analytic, N-M-I-T-T-A-L-A-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C. Welcome, Tom and Nitin, to Disrupt TV. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Hey, we're so excited to have you here. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we heard about being AI first. We hear about all in on AI, AI fueled. What does it mean for a business organization to be truly all in on AI? Like, what does it take, right? Is that a culture thing? Is that a technology thing? Is it the way you're set up? Uh, start there. All of the above. <laughs> um, uh, it means, you know, you have lots and lots of use cases in place. Um, a lot of different AI um, branches of technology in place. A lot of smart people, you know, data scientists and otherwise. A lot of um, uh, attention to um, how it's really changing your business dramatically and not just tinkering with the margins. I don't know, Newton, you want to say some other um, elements? No, actually, the point around all of the above is absolutely right. In fact, uh, that's what we've explored in the book. It's the human side, the leadership, the culture, 
the work that is performed, how is that work performed, the form of uh, kind of uh, activities that are undertaken, and more and more recognizing that every enterprise is competing in a digital economy, strives to be a digital organization, and every form of interaction with their customers is a digital interaction. And all of that is now getting powered by AI. That's the essence of essentially kind of being all in on AI that we explore uh, in this book. And at what point did you decide on the title? Did you go in with the thesis that this is not incremental, this isn't toe in the water, you got to dive in? So, Or was it the research and identifying trailblazer companies and looking at how they're gaining market share using advanced analytics and BI and AI? when you decided, no, this, this, this is an all-in approach that we must advocate for. Uh, we were looking for them from the beginning, right, Nitin? We, um, uh, we, we started out with the AI fuel term and uh, all-in on AI had a nice sort of alliterative aspect to it. But um, we were looking um, from the beginning, Nitin knew of some from his work um, with Deloitte clients. I had seen some my, from my research and, and writing. Um, we weren't sure we'd have enough to write about, but we found plenty. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, courtesy of the research that Tom has done, as well as, uh, frankly, the uh, state of uh, AI in the enterprise survey that Deloitte has done globally. And there's kind of uh, five editions of it that uh, we have now published uh, progressively through the years. There was enough material, there were enough trends that we could discern, and there were many organizations where you could uh, frankly get a fairly good picture in terms of their own evolution, their own kind of maturity uh, curve that uh, they have been on, as well as how they have been progressing. And we were able to crystallize a lot of that uh, in the book. You know, you've got some great case studies, right? Ping on, Airbus, Capital One, Anthem. Share a little bit of uh, what you, you know, some of those insights, because I think people would be surprised to understand that these companies are pretty advanced in how they use AI. And it takes a lot of work and in some cases, a lot of, uh, a lot of like leadership to be able to be successful. Yeah. My favorite example is Ping An. I don't know who you want to talk about, Nitin. Um, go ahead if you want to. Well, I mean, the comment I was going to make is this. Uh, the whole essence of uh, the book and uh, some of the underlying kind of, let's say, tenets of every single one of the companies and the case studies that are explored is that there are a few elements that are common amongst all of them. Leadership. The fact that essentially they were executives who completely believed in the fact that AI is going to not necessarily be evolutionary and incremental, but revolutionize their companies and the role of their companies in the industries that they uh, serve in. So kind of leadership was actually important. Also, the perspective that uh, it's not about just experimenting in the side. It's not just about a few use cases that you could essentially go, build, uh, go build proof of concepts but literally starting to take a look at how do you differentiate in the marketplace? How do you compete in the industry that you're in? What is the nature of the work that is actually being performed? How is that work being performed? How are you enhancing customer experience? And then consequently, how are decisions actually being, uh, you know, let's say arrived at, and particularly the role of real-time 
insights that could be generated through mm. machine learning or other AI algorithms and not only generated, but also woven into the very business decision-making fabric of that organization. It's all those type of elements that truly kind of, I would say, typify these particular companies that we've actually uh, explored. Yeah, let me, let me give you an example in Ping An. So um, this is not a company that many Americans know very well, but it's um, the largest private sector company in China and only got started in the late 80s as an insurance company. But they decided that they'd have this sort of ecosystem business model. They now have five ecosystems added to insurance, banking, healthcare, um, automotive services, and smart cities. And in each one of those, they sort of partner with um, other providers. They gather data from consumers and those other providers. Um, it creates what um, the head of AI called to me a Disneyland of data, where they're able to offer better products to their customers, and then the customers use them more, and they get more data. It's this incredible virtuous circle. But to me, the, the most outstanding example is they have a telemedicine, intelligent telemedicine product called Good Doctor, which has about 400 million customers, believe it or not. Um, it does triage to decide whether you need to go to the doctor or not with AI. It um, decides on a particular diagnosis that it tells the doctor you probably have, and then it um, recommends a treatment strategy to the doctor as well. And you know, there's a country that doesn't have the number of healthcare providers that it needs. It's made an enormous difference. And you know, we sometimes get excited in the U.S. that wow, we can talk to our doctor over Zoom during COVID. But this is so far beyond that; it's unbelievable. It's amazing. You mentioned companies that folks may not have heard of, but if you look at the the most valuable companies on earth today, eight of the ten of these companies: Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Nvidia, Tesla, Meta, TSMC. Eight of the ten companies explicitly say that they're all in on AI and AI is a key part of their innovation strategy moving forward. In fact, uh, the other two have also, but the, the non-tech companies. So in your book, you talk about uh, what it means for a company to be organizational learning machine. Can you expand on the requirements that the culture of a company and the leadership of a company needs to have in place in order to have a, a learning machine atmosphere? Sure. I mean, it's, um, you know, we think of machine learning and, and certainly that's an important component of it, but these companies are um, experimenting with AI, um, trying to put it into production, trying to get value, just constantly trying to improve. So one great example is DBS Bank, which is the largest bank in Southeast Asia based in Singapore. Um, they started experimenting in the early days of AI. They tried out IBM Watson. It didn't work so well. They tried a, um, a couple of projects from the Singapore National Research Agency. They didn't work. But the CEO, Piyush Gupta, said, no, this is important to us. We're going to keep trying it out. They um, started spreading out the use of AI around the, the company. He would um, uh, fund projects to do almost um, anything with AI and human resources, call center, et cetera, et cetera. They, um, developed a fantastic call center application for their digital bank in India. They don't have branches, so they encourage people to communicate with them electronically. 
and just the relentlessness every time somebody calls they try to figure out why did we screw up there why did they call us instead of using the app and using data um, science in order to address these issues just relentless pursuit of ai as a way to change their business i think that's what organizational learning machine really refers to it's amazing ready to unmute we're also seeing like this big shift as we go from AI driven to uh, AI fueled. You guys are talking about this. Uh, this AI fueled transition is, is, is really important. And you're, you're hitting like non-technical departments, right? HR departments, for example. Why are they so important in enabling this capability? And where do you see them in terms of helping companies with the transition uh, to get to this AI fueled state? Yeah, I think you kind of, uh, you know, said it very uh, artfully that uh, we are now essentially seeing AI go beyond just the realm of the data science group. It's actually become mainstream, whether we recognize it or not. I mean, chat GPT and generative AI is now in the public consciousness, but that doesn't necessarily mean that AI has not necessarily been mainstream. AI has actually transcended the data science group or an AI center of excellence in organizations and frankly has become pervasive in every aspect of an organization, whether it's HR, supply chain, finance, legal, um, as well as uh, if you happen to be kind of a manufacturer, how the factory is set up and the concept of a smart factory. If you happen to be a, a life sciences uh, company, uh, we now essentially have AI that fuels R&D, digitizes clin uh, clinical trials, automates regulatory submission, and derives the necessary insights for the purposes of sales and distribution when it comes to kind of the commercial aspect of the life sciences uh, value chain. So it has essentially gone beyond the prerogative of a few scientists to essentially becoming the prerogative of the business managers, of the business uh, executives and the business uh, workers that are the heart and soul of many of these uh, different uh, organizations. And that's the whole concept of uh, becoming AI fuel, where every product, every service, every interaction, every form of work, workflow, task, and activity has elements of essentially AI capabilities, whether it happens to be machine learning to identify patterns and correlate data, whether it happens to be deep learning for deriving inferences, or now more and more, whether it happens to be generative AI, which ultimately is going to be able to generate human-like cognitive function. Hmm. I, I work for a, a public cloud SaaS company. Uh, it's a 24-year-old company that was founded in 1999. Yes, we see Mark Benioff's um, book cover right behind Yes, you. yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, not just because he's a great boss, but it's actually a really good book. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, the first 10 years of the company challenging dominant logic in that your most important data, customer data, can be somewhere in the cloud, was we, there was a lot of folks that were skeptical about it, literally for the first decade of the company. Uh, I, I, the narrative started with trying to assure people that cloud is a good thing and it, it is secure and it is scalable. So that today, as, as you and Mitten are advising CEOs and company leaders, I'm sure some are still skeptical about going all in in AI. What, what's the misunderstanding? What, what, what do you help them 
better understand in order for them to realize that this is the electricity for business for the next 100 years. And if you ignore it, you're going to be in the dark and you're not going to be able to compete. You're not going to be able to win. So how much calories are you two burning in terms of facing the skepticism, given like, you know, folks just wrote a letter that said, hey, we should slow down for six months uh, progress in this space because we're not sure about the outcomes. Uh, tell us the conversations that you're having with CEOs. Yeah. And can you be half assed with AI? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's our next book for the yeah, yeah. Don't, don't have the, um, the gut to go all in. <laughs> so I can reference uh, a kind of few of the conversations that we tend to have with uh, CEOs and the C-suite. Let's acknowledge there is an element of fear. There's an element of fear. And uh, frankly, um, one of your uh, previous uh, guests even talked about many of the risk uh, elements. But here's what I would say as a student of history. In a 200 years plus back, there was a lot of fear around a new invention that took place. And the fear was around uh, if essentially a quote unquote machine that was invented is going to take over humanity, how are we going to value our worth and if we can't essentially sweat and earn a good day's labor, then who are we as humans? That machine and invention was the steam engine. It gave birth to civilization as we know today. And it was uh, the catalyst for the industrial revolution. The same type of uh, kind of fear has permeated at every seminal moment in our civilization True. with respect to uh, the calculator with respect to the personal computer, with respect to kind of the first wave of digitization, with respect to moving data to the cloud that you kind of just referred. Every time the seminal moment, there is fear in the mix. But as the steam engine ultimately was responsible for literally, I would say mechanizing human energy production, AI is slowly and steadily mechanizing human cognitive production. It will be part and parcel of essentially what we are going to be augmented by, what we are going to be embracing, what we are going to be using, and what is going to be the basis of differentiation and competition. It could take a generation, but we always have to remember the next generation that comes up becomes a native generation in that particular technology. Our kids are now essentially kind of native iPhone users or smartphone users and probably, can, you know, get an iPhone and uh, a smartphone the moment they're born. <laughs> so. Nitin, that was poetry. That was awesome. What a great answer. Great, great answer. Clearly, I, I, you've I been having this conversation go. with a lot of CEOs. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have, since the, um, over the last couple of months, I've talked to a lot of organizations who are getting a little nervous about things. And I'm nervous, frankly. I was never that nervous before, but when I see the power of some of these generative tools, I think, um, geez, you know, we could use some regulation here. Um, uh, nobody in Washington, at least, seems to have a clue about how to regulate this stuff. Um, it does make me a bit nervous, no offense to your previous guests, but um, a few very large companies seem to be driving, you know, the future of humankind here. So um, I think that we need to, I, I don't think that a six month pause would be terribly helpful, 
but I do think we need to think very carefully about what this means for the for the future of humankind and how we're going to make sure that it's aligned with our goals and and values. Well said. Yeah, no, definitely. We're seeing that. And of course, you know, uh, tech policy, uh, technology and tech policy are often uh, so far behind. And in this case, it's only going to get further behind before we actually understand the implications. So definitely a lot of things that we'll, we have to look at uh, over time. So very, very awesome book. This book came out, I believe, in January this year. Check it out. All in on AI. Tom Davenport and Nitin Mittal. Uh, How smart companies win big with artificial intelligence. You can follow Tom at TDAV and Nitin at N-I-N-M-I-T-T-A-L Analytic. So thanks a lot for being on the show and happy Thank Friday. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thank gentlemen. You. Thank you. Uh, Amazing. I'm all in. Uh, and uh, I, I look forward to, uh, uh, you know, sharing the book and insights with, you know, the folks that I collaborate with. Our next guest is, uh, you know, our, our theory is, you know, we bring the, you know, cleanup hitter who ends up, you know, hitting a grand slam with his wisdom and, and his, his shared knowledge. We've been trying to get him on the show for many, many months. And so it's our privilege to have Andy Tharai. His uh, last name ends with A.I., uh, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Andy is an accomplished IT executive, strategist, advisor, enterprise architect, and evangelist for more than 25 years of experience in, in our architectural leadership positions at companies like IBM, Intel, BMC, Nortel, Oracle. So he's had incredible legacy at large companies. He's written over 100 articles on emerging technologies topics for publications such as Forbes, The New Stack, AI World Venture, Beat DevOps, GigaOM, and Wired. His field of interest and expertise include AI ops, IT ops, observability, artificial intelligence, machine learning, cloud edge, and other enterprise software. You can find a lot of, about his thinking and his blogs and his thought leadership at thefieldcto, F-I-E-L-D-C-T-O.com. You can also follow him on Twitter with his name, uh, A-N-D-Y-T-H-U-R-A-I. Welcome, Andy, to Disrupt TV. Great to be on with the big guys. <laughs> Thank you. Andy, it's yes, great yeah. to have you I'm here. I'm still trying to convince Ray that cloud is a good thing. But yes, yes, ah, big dude, guys. I'm all on trend. No, I was kidding. Um, so yeah, no, it's amazing, right? I mean, uh, we're, we're seeing a massive shift here. This is an area you cover. I know you cover ML ops heavily, uh, as well as other areas of AI. Uh, but productionizing is hard. It's not an easy thing, right? Uh, and, and you have lots of reasons why this is not easy. Uh, let's talk about that so people get a grasp, right? Because, you know, we, we have executives like uh, I mean, a couple of weeks back, we had someone that, you know, was very, very concerned about privacy and privacy data, and they don't store any data. And they came to us and said, hey, it'd be great. We're going to jump into AI. And I'm like, using what? <laughs> you have no data, right? So, but that's just the beginning of it. There are like other areas that you talk about from, you know, the model models and drift and governance. Let's go there. Yeah, no, I, well, <laughs> that's a wild topic, right? And, and what we want to talk about. But again, you know, when it comes down to the machine learning models and, and AI models, one of the major concerns that a lot of companies have is that, you know, in spite of their major investments, a lot of the models don't make it into production. You know, you'd, you'd be surprised. The estimate is that anywhere between 50 to 100, uh, 80% of the models don't make it into production. So the companies are a little bit hesitant about, you know, what do I do to fix that, right? The service, if you look at that, depending on who you listen to, uh, it's all over the place. 
but there are a lot of issues that come with that, right? Things like, you know, uh, creating a model is just one piece of it. You know, uh, how do you do, uh, how do you monitor a drift? Uh, how do you monitor the the actual models itself in production? Uh, I, you know, how do you monitor the model governance? You know, I can go on and on, but there are like so many issues there. And, and a lot of companies are coming up with the MLOps platforms to solve some of those issues, which is the report I'm working on now, as you know, Ray, that, uh, you know, how companies can efficiently not only produce metals faster, that's an easier issue, which a lot of companies have solved already, but how do you move it into production? And and how do you keep it in production at, at a, a very high accuracy rate? For example, one of this company I was talking to, an insurance company, he was saying, Andy, just creating a model and putting it in production is only one part of the puzzle. What I'm worried about is that when the model decays, I need to know when to pull the model to retrain. Otherwise, it can hurt our business. And the simplest uh, example I can give you would be, for example, if I were to go from point A to point B, using Uber, if it costs only 10 bucks, if it gives me a 10 bucks, I'll take it. But if they price it at 80 bucks or price it at 80 cents, you know, that's going to hurt their business either way because either they'll lose business or a lot of people will use it and they'll not pay for it, right? <laughs> so in my career, I saw the birth of NOC, Network Operations Center, mm -hmm. as networks became more complex and security became more difficult. I saw SOC, Security yep. Operations Center. Yep. I'm not sure how many of our audience understand AOPS, so AI ops or ML ops. Can you explain what is an AI, AI ops? How many companies, how many of the Fortune 1000 companies have AI ops and where does it sit? Who's responsible for it? Is it fragmented through the various lines of business where the service organization, the marketing sales, commerce, HR, each have members that belong to, or is this part of IT? Give us a little bit of understanding of what, what these terms mean. Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> so, so the term generally XOPS, right? Whether it's uh, data ops, uh, uh, ML ops for that matter, or any of the ops, even IT ops when you say that, it's uh, all about doing something to improve that particular operation. So for example, if you are to use ML ops, it's about using the solution to improve your machine learning operations. Same mm -hmm. with the data ops, using that solution to improve your, your data yep. operations. But unfortunately, <laughs> the AOPS term was coined by somebody who didn't understand the space properly years ago, that AI ops is about using AI in IT operations. That's about the reverse of it, not okay. towards it, right? It. But anyways, the, the term has become so popular, so people, everybody is using it. But the bottom line is that, you know, AI ops is about taking all the data, you know, about the observability, right? So in the cloud ops and IT ops areas, take all of the data and, and help you make meaning out of it. In a simplistic term, that's what AOPS means. Okay, and how many companies have this capability? The AOPS capability, the solution yeah. providers? AI, uh, ML, folks that are uh, continuously looking to refine their models, improve their models, and then have their services covered across the enterprise. So sales, service, marketing, commerce, all these major customer facing lines of business are benefiting from their work. Okay, so so AI ops again is about taking the observability data and improving your IT operations, basically. So there are about sixty or seventy companies I'm tra tracking that offers the AI ops solutions, and the ML ops is about you know how do you productionize and and keep the models in production uh, with the right precision without a drift. Um, 
initially when I started, there were about 30, maybe 40 companies that I was tracking. And matter of fact, I get about two to three emails a week saying that, hey, you know, look like we have a short list on MLOps. We are not included. Um, and why shouldn't we be included? Some oh, wow. asking nicely, some demanding it. <laughs> so uh, I have a list of about probably 100, 120 companies in the MLOps space, supposedly. Wow. And, and these uh, are they consortium events, uh, conferences where you see these folks sharing best practices or is it siloed within each business? Uh, there are a few, actually. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to my uh, uh, buddy, uh, Demetrios. He has the MLOps community. That's actually one of the largest communities in the world. I think close to million ML machine learning practitioners uh, wow. part of that community. Wow. So it's, it's pretty big. Um, and then they also wow. have actually a conference in um, uh, in San Francisco, I believe, next week. So that's, you know, there are a few best practices uh, around the world. Uh, some of the open source consortiums do that as well. But then there are a lot of vendor conferences. If you go to, uh, for example, Splunk is one. Uh, there are a few others. They all, all have conferences in which uh, these solutions are part of their conference and area of it. Yes. Yep. Great, yeah, great. No, we definitely see that, right? And, and this is a really hot area as we go from operating machine scale and then operating with human scale, right? Yeah. Those two things have to come together, right? And, and there's a lot of work that's heavy lifting that's that's designed there. Where, where is that future of ML ops? Like, is that is that an area where we're going to see less and less uh, people involved, more and more machines? Or is it because we're creating so many models so quickly that there's still going to be a lot of roles for uh, humans to be playing that? Um, there is, but the, but again, as some of your previous guests were suggesting, there are going to be different roles, right? I mean, in the past, there are certain things, you know, your data scientist is, is one of the most expensive resource, as you know. And, you know, you'll be surprised to hear that the actual work done in creating models by a data scientist is maybe 20%. And that's what a lot of these companies are trying to solve, right? I don't want to take my most expensive resource and then have them waste time and doing things that's not necessary. So can I do things like data preparation? You know, can I do build a data lake that's unstructured, structured, combined that it's going to help? And and there are a lot of companies came up with, the, with uh, you know, uh, doing auto labeling on auto annotation because that's an area where the Turks were really good at it. And, and you can't until now, you can't do real auto-labeling because you need the human subjective knowledge to go and, okay, this is a dog, this is a cat, I got to annotate the label, and that's how the AI models learn. Because if you don't tell the model, the model doesn't know anything about it, right? You could potentially feed wrong things. The model will learn wrong things, you know? That's that's one of the problems with the reinforcement AI, right? So auto-labeling is an area. And then there's a huge market around synthetic data that's, that's picking up, meaning... They're only the, the the bigger companies can't spend enough time and uh, you know money to get the actual real world data to train the models. But what about the others? There is a need for it. How do I train if I don't have enough data? So I got to fill the blanks, right? I mean, just because you have a, a certain volume of data doesn't mean that you have the right data, right? So how do I fill up the gaps in that area? So synthetic data is going to be another huge area. So data preparation, synthetic data, labeling, annotation. Uh, data prep ops, all of those things are going to be huge from the data scientist side of things. How do I make my data scientists produce models faster? And then after the models 
are produced or, or they do experimentation and then track the experimentation, have a model versioning the whole nine yards. How do I move the models into production? What do I do? You know, the the pipeline problem, because the, if you look at the current DevOps folks, they don't understand what a model is. Uh, they don't have a mechanisms to get that into production. So MLOps is to an extent, a portion of the MLOps rather, is an equivalent of your DevOps. So how do I get the models production into production faster? And the third component element of it is, you know, having a proper governance and security and, and monitoring the model. If it is going way too far, either this side or that side, how do I bring it back or pull the model back to retrain it? So every one of this area have needs and there are new companies emerging. So in the future, it's going to be have the machines do the thing, but I'll help the machines to do the thing. Makes a lot of so, sense. So, you, you know, you've been advising in this space for a decade and from 2015 to November of last year, you must have had inquiries and clients wanting your advice on generative AI. And I say 2015 because that's when OpenAI was launched. Then November comes and there's a prompt access to the world and within a month, 100 million users. What percentage of your advising today as compared to October of last year, how much of a shift in terms of clients asking you specifically to guide them in understanding the importance, uses, best practice all around this, this uh, chat GPT or generative AI space? Has it been a 10x increase, 100x increase? Or what, 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 what has your world turned into in the last five months? He's free. He's got a, a lot of free time. <laughs> is, it, uh, is, it, uh, is the answer 100% allowed? Meaning 100% of the customers who are coming in asking, they ask, you know, how do I use ChatGPT in my uh, whatever I have, right? Because it has become, look, at the end of the day, ChatGPT is probably the, uh, how shall I put that, the most popular, the highest track, traction gathering um, POC ever, right? Uh, it's still a demo, uh, you know, in a sense. Um, not only they enable the API access for enterprises users and stuff, it has got its own lot of ton of limitations. But at the end of the day, ChatGPT is the most successful POC that anybody can ever dream of. And then what it has showcased to people is that given all these issues about the, the creating the models, maintaining the models, moving the models, all we talked about, it showed to the people, regardless of all the issues you have, you can explore your potential opportunities it, it, it exposed that to the business folks who doesn't have the IT knowledge on how you can do certain things using AI. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still generative AI, meaning that it can create text and create image and whatnot. It's not a decision intelligence systems and it's not knowledge systems. But even that has, you know, turned the world upside down that people are like, oh, if I can have a help from this, I can do whatever it may be without even thinking. And and one of your guests talked about earlier on the show, Samsung unfortunately uses and all of that information is captured now and it's available in the public data that it's exposed. And and I wrote about that in my blog. It's so you gotta be careful about what you're using this for. Using that as a real POC to find out what it can do is different than you know giving you real life, real world data, proprietary data especially. Yeah, our, our first guest talked about, you know, it's not enterprise ready. Um, Italy just banned the use of the technology because there are concerns in terms of leaked private information. Uh, but, you know, read the Accenture Technology Vision 2023 report, 
And my takeaway was that these foundational models are so advanced, accelerating at such incredible pace. Yep. And over time, not worrying about in-house resident experts that can create these foundational models, but making sure that the data you feed into the foundational models are with partners that you trust, and you can really load balance how you go to market without uh, heavy investments in-house on on. AI resident experts. Um, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts in terms of, of, you know, a year from now, where will we be in terms of our cautious and, you know, skeptical use of these technologies in enterprise? Do you think a year, two, five, how quickly will we have less angst about using this technology? <laughs> and, and before we go, I want you to address the blog post you just put up, which is really about what, what should we really put a pause on AI? So Yeah, so... Look, I, I'm I come from the more of emerging tech innovation world, and my blog entire concept is about don't kill innovation, right? And that's the topic of the blog too. Don't kill innovation. Don't put a moratorium. There are a few issues with that particular uh, initiative that they have going on. You know, they are like, oh, let's put a six month pause. Then what? After that, what happens after six months? The governance and security and regulation will just all of a sudden pop up. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and 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 even if you put a pause, first of all, how are you going to enforce it? Just because you say that, hey, everybody stop, let's not do it, is everybody's going to listen to you? And let's assume that it's U.S.-based companies that listen to you. How are you going to enforce companies like China or, or, I mean, countries like China and others who are, uh, Europe is actually at a very big pace to, you know, building AI, you know, solutions and whatnot. How are you going to enforce it on them? So basically you're restricting yourselves when others are catching up or advancing (laughs) than you. So I, I don't believe in killing innovation. But I, I do believe that the the regulation governance and security needs to catch up, especially security if your IP knowledge is exposed. You you just experiment for the sake of experiment, but when you're putting it in the enterprise, have have the right things because you know it's as if you're putting information out in the public. And when you do that, you, you gotta have the safety measures in place. You gotta be very careful. Yeah. We definitely do. If you don't have that in place or guardrails, we're, we're going to be in trouble. It's, it's yep. uh, some of the AI ethics we talked about in the past was, right, you, if you been a pro- begin a process with a human, you better end the process with a human. Otherwise, the machines will cut us out. Like, we are super inefficient. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, actually, a human in the loop is one of the things I, I always like because, you know, at the end of the day, you don't want the machines, you know, even the joking that you say that pull the plug, you don't want the machines to really pull the plug. You want a human to pull the plug regardless. Come on, you know? you, the kill switch engineer, the hottest <laughs> job in the world of AI, right? The best well, for, for, about five years ago, Kai-Fu Lee warned us that the superpower race between countries like US and China, China will be ultimately ahead because they're not going to kill innovation. Now, it may be at the cost of privacy and, 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 and citizen rights, but at the end of the day, dumbification of AI is... Is, is something that will slow down its capabilities, perhaps at the detriment of society. And that's a debate we can have. Certainly companies like mine have invested in ethical and humane use of software yep. leadership, where at design level discussions before the first line of code is exercised, you think about and you reflect on what possible outcomes this technology could bring and will it help or hurt society. And our first guest was a member of a company that you recall two and a half, three years ago, suspended a release of AI capabilities because it felt that at that time it was too dangerous 
because of how accurate the false information was being portrayed with embedded statistics. And it just, it felt real, even though it wasn't. So, you know, big companies do take responsibilities, but it's something that I think will challenge us for many, many years to come. That, that's, that's the key, accountability and responsibility of the companies. Because right now, if you use chat GPTs, whatever answer is giving, or some of the solutions out there, the LLMs and stuff, you're on your own. I mean, yeah. the the uh, recently the uh, uh, co-pilot got sued because the the code was used by someone else, and and the Getty is suing some of the the it's you know uh, image companies. Yes, yeah, stable diffusion. Yeah. Yeah. Trust has to be your number one core value, no question. Yeah. Accountability and trust, absolutely, no absolutely. Get ready for massive exponential disinformation. Anyways, <laughs> so. we're here with Andy Thurai, vice president and principal analyst at Constellation Research, one of our own. He needs to change his Twitter handle, say A N D Y T H U R capital A I. Uh, <laughs> and uh, more importantly, catch him on the Constellation Research blog. Thanks a lot, Andy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Andy. Good, Good talk terrific. to you guys. Thank you. Well done. Well done. I wish I was uh, an uh, augmented reality expert because AR would have been great. <laughs> I know. Bala after AR. AR. <laughs> Ray, what an amazing uh, segment for extraordinary experts. Uh, enhancing our awareness of the importance of this technology um, with someone who's been pioneering this technology at one of the most advanced companies on earth and two co-authors that have uh, that are legends and you know driving Deloitte strategy and certainly one of the most influential IT thought leaders in the world and of course Andy at the end uh, you know talking about some of the you know the 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 values creating value uh, and the principles not go beyond the technology your thoughts your summary of the last hour please you know look there's a lot of interest in ai and generative ai we've gone through many ai winters in the past um, those were limited by our compute power they're limited by the amount of data we had uh, the tools and techniques that were there and um, we're definitely somewhere here uh, looking at these gpt4 gpt5 language models that are uh, within us um, but there is a challenge that we're all going to face which is really the amount of data we need uh, the entire human corpus is, is now uh, put into place and we're going to find out we don't have enough data to make or get to the level of precision for the decisions we like need to get to and it was interesting talking to everybody here. I mean, with Bashad, right, it was really understanding how far this technology has gone. You notice that Google has taken a much more conservative approach uh, to this instead of, you know, uh, running out there saying, hey, we've got this, right? Uh, I think they've had to think through this issue a little bit more, a little bit longer. And you could see that in, in the way Bashad was looking at specific use cases, specific data sets within AI and CX. Uh, when you look at the book All In on AI, I think this is now a boardroom issue. Right. I think boardrooms around the country are all thinking around the world are all thinking about where AI fits, how they're going to deploy it. How do they even get started? If they don't even have basic data management strategies in place, they're going to find themselves with massive technical debt. This move from data decisions, getting to next best action and where we are in the world of AI uh, is, is, is going to play a role. I mean, it's an exponential advantage if you can actually achieve decision velocity. Right. We've talked about that. Humans make decisions, snap decision pretty quickly. It takes us forever to get it out of our system. Uh, machines are going to make hundreds, even thousands of decisions per second, and that's an exponential advantage that we'll see. And so this all-in on AI is really important for organizations to read about, to understand what they need to be prepared 
both on a process, technology, and culture level. And really, you know, uh, the work that we're doing here at Constellation with Andy, thinking about where AI is going forward. I mean, I think it's important for companies to understand like there are guide guidelines that we'll have to have, guardrails that are going to be important, uh, especially as you get into projects. AI and MLOps is a great place to get started. And of course, we've, we've done significant research there. So that's the rundown. Amazing. Amazing. Well, uh, next week, Ray, we're going to have Kathy Heichel, Chief Metaverse ah. Officer and founder at Journey and founder at Verslox, uh, Cecilia Fleshaker, CMO of Verant, and Elise Litt, award-winning uh, marketeer, mentor, best-selling author, podcaster, personal branding expert, and, and founder of Leave Your Mark, a multimedia brand and consultancy firm. So three uh, extraordinary women next week uh, teaching us about emerging technologies like the metaverse and the importance of personal branding uh, and thought leadership. Uh, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching episode 317. We'll see you next week on episode 318 of Disrupt TV. Thanks, everyone. Have a great Easter, weekend. Passover and Ramadan. Take care. Yes. Yes, all of that. <laughs>